0: Hey, everybody. Welcome to the best thing that, well, probably will ever happen to you, really, if you think about it. It's called Coffee with Scott Adams, and a lot of people are getting addicted to it all over. From the children walking out of school in Oakdale, to the freedom truckers in the Freedom Convoy up in Canada, trying to claw back some human rights from their overreaching governments. We'll talk about all that. But first, the simultaneous sip. What do you say? What do you say? Oh, how about uh, grabbing a cup or a mug or a glass, a tinker, chalice, a stein, a canteen jug or flask, a, a vessel of any kind. Fill it with your favorite liquid. I like freedom. And join me now in the... Uh, for the unparalleled pleasure, the dopamine of the day, the thing that makes everything better. It's called the simultaneous sip. Go. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. So, yeah, Facebook slash Meta is having some stock problems. And um, first of all, I don't own any direct Facebook stock, so I like to mention that. You should remind me to tell you that if I ever forget, if I'm talking about a big company, because I think that's always fair. Um, But I don't have any Facebook stock, and here's the reason. I don't know any kids who use Facebook. (laughs) Am I wrong? (laughs) Show me some kids using Facebook, and I'll be all in on that investment. (laughs) This is is something uh, I heard long ago. I I don't think I'll give an attribution for it. But uh, it was a long time ago, and a, a very skilled investor... One said, "Don't invest in anything a kid wouldn't use," meaning that it's not going to be around that long if, if kids have already rejected it for whatever reason. So now they might use they might use the metaverse. I think uh, I think Zuckerberg is always maybe underrated for how good he is as a as a leader and CEO and and all the rest. I mean, how many people how many people were as good at being a startup person? As they were at running an enormous company. There are not too many people like that, right? Michael Dell, probably uh, Bill Gates. Yeah, yeah, Elon, Elon Musk, right? Yeah, there. So when you hear about somebody like that, it sticks in your mind. All right, um, here's a tiny little story that could be gigantic. Uh, this will sound like, oh, a little little technical breakthrough, maybe. And, you know, these technical breakthroughs, you always have to judge them with a grain of salt, right? Will they ever turn into anything real, or is it just a science-y article? Well, here it is. The, um, this was tweeted by a BitCon Texan. And uh, it says, that MIT engineers create the, quote, impossible new material that is stronger than steel and as light as plastic. So it has something to do with, uh, I don't know, two or three-dimensional polymers and blah, blah, blah. So apparently there's a way to construct a material. but um, of course, the hard part would be, could you ever make that industrial uh, production? Right? So it's probably reduced to an engineering problem at this point. But imagine what would happen to, oh, let's say, everything. <laughs> if you could make... Something without steel that was better than steel and way lighter, like way lighter. Everything changes, right? Suddenly, um, what can you carry with a drone? Well, a lot more, because the drone itself won't carry it, won't weigh much. And the things you're carrying might not weigh much. (laughs) What about guns? Is somebody going to make a gun out of this? And if you did, would it show up on an x-ray? I don't know. Beats me. Does Do polymers show up on x-rays? Um, think about what would happen to climate change and our need for energy in general if we start putting out cars that weigh, I don't know, half as much. <laughs> Could we make engines out of it? What would happen if the car doesn't weigh much more than the people who are in it? I mean, What does that do to your gas prices or your electric prices by then, I guess? So this is one of those tiny little stories that tell you why you can't predict anything. <laughs> you know, when, when I hear that the uh, climate change uh, prediction models are telling you what's going to happen in 80 years, there's nobody who's worked with prediction models who thinks that's even a thing because of this and all of the other things that will be developing between now and then. Yeah, maybe we get hit by a meteor. Maybe we have you know contact with an alien force. Maybe uh, the AI singularity is reached. Maybe, actually, that's almost a certainty. Think about this. Here are two predictions that all the smart people would agree on. Now, when I say all the smart people, that's not that doesn't mean they're all right. I just mean the the people would be generally considered societies wisest, most informed people. They would say that climate change is going to get real bad based on the models, and they would also say that AI will reach a singularity, certainly within 80 years. I don't think there's anybody who thinks it's going to take that long. But what, what good does a uh, climate change model prediction have if somewhere in that period, and probably almost certainly, way closer to the front than the back, AI is going to reach what's called the singularity, in which the AI can learn on its own. And once the AI can teach itself, and it becomes, you know, self-growing, it becomes almost instantly, you know, omnipotent (laughs) for all practical purposes, because it would know how to control humans in a variety of ways. So if it wanted to, it could hypnotize us, brainwash us, uh, it could blackmail us, you know by saying, "I'll turn off your power." It could do anything. So what good does a climate change prediction that goes 80 years go? You know What good is it if our ability to predict goes absolutely blind a day after the singularity is reached? Does everybody understand that? Our, our human ability to predict anything? we will go completely blind because whatever happens when AI becomes a super entity, we don't know. There, there just isn't any way to predict that. <laughs> it, it's sort of like um, people saying that I was reading the minds of somebody who's smarter than I am. And I'm thinking, if I could read the mind of someone who's smarter than I am, I would be as smart as them because I would just look in their mind and say, well, <laughs> I don't even have to think for myself anymore. I'll just look in the mind of you know, somebody smarter. What is Jordan Peterson thinking about this? I'll just look in his mind. Just adopt that view. So anyway, if, if we could figure out what AI, a super entity or a super intelligence would do, we would be super intelligent. But well, we're not. <laughs> so it's, it's just a blindness that's probably... What would you say? Is there anybody on here who's got enough AI experience to predict when the singularity will be reached? Ten years? I, I think ten years is not the outside. What does anybody say? Because the, the thing with this kind of prediction is whatever happens, let's say I say it's going to happen in ten years. Whatever happens in the last two of those ten years will probably be more than happened in the first eight so you know, none of this is linear. At some point, it just goes roop. We just don't, win that, don't know when that happens. Um, disagree with the hypothesis, which I think, I think there's room for disagreement on the hypothesis. I, I also think that humans will rise to the challenge because we see it coming. If we didn't see it coming, we could be surprised. But I think we'll have all kinds of fail-safes and, and things that even an AI can't get around. Um yeah, all right. Anyway, my point is, how good could we predict anything? Speaking of not being able to predict anything, the job growth number was through the roof, like, incredibly positive, and uh, the experts had said it was going to be dismal. <laughs> how long have people been predicting economic things? That's, that's something we've, we should be pretty good at, right? if we can predict anything we should be able to predict what the next jobs report will be because the next jobs report is what every week or is it every month but whichever it is the the point is that's a pretty short period of time if you can't even guess the job growth number when almost everything that's a factor is reported and there's data available you can't even get that right they were they were off by a mile <laughs> And they don't even know why exactly. Nobody's exactly sure why. So we can't predict uh, climate change, because the AI. We can't predict economics, even the most basic stuff, how, mu- how much job growth within the next few weeks. That, that is really basic. We can't even get that. You know, well, we, the experts, can't. So that included uh, Goldman Sachs and J.P. Morgan uh, were off by a mile, I guess. All right, are you uh, watching the update of the kids in in mask cages? Um, in Oakdale, a school district area in uh, California. So as you know, the first part of the story is that the kids um, without masks were told to stay in this cold, unheated, uh, a gymnasium, I guess. But they, quote, escaped. <laughs> so the news is saying that they were barricaded in and then they escaped. And then I saw a picture of the barricade. Did anybody see a picture of the barricade that was barricading the doors so they couldn't get out? <laughs> the barricade was on the inside. <laughs> Just look at the picture. It lit, I think the barricade was on the inside. It was just folding tables. There would be like one folding table that was leaned against the doorway. It wasn't even leaned against the door. It was leaned against the doorway. <laughs> now I think all it was was like putting up orange cones, basically. Yeah, it, it was. The, it was all of the complexity of putting up orange cones or a or a ribbon. <laughs> it was just sort of. It was just sort of indicating that you shouldn't use the door. The, the difficulty of getting past the barricade would be this. Push open the door. Because <laughs> the barricade only went up uh, like uh, two and a half feet. So just push open the door and then step over the two and a half foot barricade. <laughs> so here's the funniest part. Apparently it took the kids a while to figure out that they could escape. Because you know what you can't do in California? You can't physically constrain a teenager. Did you know that? Now, now, law enforcement could if they caught them in the act of a crime, right? And depending on the crime, but in California, you could walk into Walmart with a big old bag that says "bag for stolen items." You could stand in front of the police, the entire police force that might be shopping at the same time, and say, "Hey, guys, you know, blue lives matter." You could fill up your, your, your stealing bag with stuff. You could say, huh, can you guys give me a hand? This bag's a little heavy. Just to get to the car. I know it's illegal. I know it's illegal. But do you know that in California that's not enforced? Hey, well, I'll, sorry, if you won't help, I'll just drag it. Uh, 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 drags it back to the car. Police open the door for him. Say, have a nice day, sir. In California, you can't physically restrain somebody for almost anything unless, you know, it's like immediate health or safety issue, right? Somebody's like about to murder somebody or something like that. But the example would be if you had a, let's say, a teenager who was an addict, just to pick a random example, could you physically restrain that kid and say, OK, you can't go out, out tonight because, you know, you're grounded, so you can't go out. And the kid walk, stands up and starts to walk toward the door. What are you allowed to do legally? Nothing. <laughs> Nothing. You, you, can't, you can't physically restrain a teenager in California for anything short of like the most dangerous stuff immediately happening. So at some point, all of those kids were sitting in the, uh, in the gym, and none of them realized, at least for a while... That all they had to do was stand up and walk out. <laughs> and they were staying in this cold gym. But at some point, the, the brainwashing must have uh, turned off. And I don't know that this happened, but if they still had their phones... Does anybody know if they had their phones when they were in that gym? Because I didn't, I didn't hear anything about the phones being taken away. So if they had their phones, they were probably in contact with parents... Probably one of them was a lawyer. (laughs) I'm just speculating what might have happened. And at some point, I feel like some adult, somebody outside the room said, "Um, kids, you know you could just get up and walk out, right? Like anytime you want. Somebody says no phones. So maybe they just figured it out or just took a chance. But I I think the funniest part about this was the perceptual part where they had to stay in the gym. (laughs) They didn't have to stay in the gym. There was absolutely nothing keeping them there except their minds, and it almost worked. <laughs> it almost worked. It was just their minds that were keeping them imprisoned. Now, if that doesn't tell you something about humans, I don't know what does. These kids were so uh, mind-controlled that they thought just the thought of you should stay in here during your protest, that would be good enough. And they would just stay there. <laughs> well, that didn't work out. Um I told you yesterday that I was joking that you could reduce uh, gun murders by 75% by uh, banning guns to democrats. And everybody had a good laugh at it. It got it got kind of viral, it got a couple thousand retweets I think last time I looked. And everybody laughed cuz it was one of these you know sort of funny but absurd things that if you denied guns just to democrats, you would reduce murders by 75 percent, and of course, some people. There's always a troll, who doesn't get the joke, and the trolls will be in there. Oh, I'd like to see the, the data. Show me the data that supports such a provocative claim. And then today, somebody tweeted out an article that said, 70 percent of felons are registered Democrats, <laughs> and I think there was a slightly higher number involved in violent crime. <laughs> <laughs> so <laughs> yeah, I've told you before that uh, one of the things that happens, if you do data analysis for a living, which I used to do for years in my corporate life, you get this weird ability to predict things that you shouldn't know anything about, and you're not even sure why. You just uh, You just sit there in a chair and go, I don't know. I think about 75 percent of crime would go down if you got rid of guns from just Democrats. And uh, it turns out. Might have been kind of close. <laughs> Might have been close. So the uh, Republican uh, National Committee, the RNC, they, uh, they censured uh, Cheney and Kinzinger, their own Republicans, for their involvement in the January 6th panel. What do you think of that? Do you think that that was appropriate? Now, I think it's fair to say this was purely political act. So, you know, t- to the extent that it was a purely political act, It's neither right nor wrong. It's it's just a political act. But I just wondered if you liked it. (laughs) Um, So some of you liked it, some not. Now, I kind of get... I see both sides. This is one where, first of all, it's not important in any way, right? Can we all agree it's not important? This is the least important thing, is censoring... Republicans censoring their own... But I would say that I like it as a messaging thing. It has no impact on the people getting censored. But uh, I like the way it frames the January 6th thing as a fraud. Because that's all it really does. It's, not, it's even not about these two people so much. I mean, I guess it is you know, punishing people who are you know, leaving the, the orthodoxy or something. But... Um, I just like the way it frames the issue for the Republican side, that the January 6th thing is so ridiculous that you would get censored even for being involved in it because it's so obviously a propaganda thing, which is not to say there's no truth within it. So just for the benefit of the trolls who will rush in, obviously bad things happened on January 6th, and I think it's perfectly good that we find out what happened, but I don't think that's the point of it the point of it is just propaganda right so uh, if you've get if you have two republicans who participated in something that's just naked political propaganda uh, censoring seems seems a fairly uh, mild thing to do but again it only it's just a messaging thing all right um So there's a new story that I believe is going to turn into uh, some form of fake news. And it is that uh, Spotify has deleted some, some many dozens of uh, Joe Rogan episodes from their library. And it included people who are, you'd think, relatively, um, relatively safe. You know, they're not doctors claiming things that other people disagree with. So some of the people would be like uh, Michael Malice, some of his episodes, uh, Gad Sad, and even Tim Ferriss. Now, what in the world could Tim Ferriss have possibly said that got him pulled off? Maybe something about psychedelics or something like that? I don't know. Um, Or who knows? Who knows? But I think what we're going to find out is that the reasons things got pulled off... uh, we might be surprised. So I would say at least wait to find out why they were pulled off. So I heard something on Twitter just before I got on about some of them might have included the N-word, obviously not used, you know, without knowing anything about it. It's obvious it wasn't used in a derogatory way. They may have been talking about the use of it or something like that. But um, I don't know that that's a whole story. Seven, 71 episodes, somebody says. Dr. Malone used a Dilbert cartoon in a recent Substack post. Is that true? That would be interesting. (laughs) Um, Okay, well, once again, I end up being connected to some major show. Well, I was a little bit disappointed that when I checked the list of the 71 or so episodes... And by the way, you, there's a website that just tracks whatever's been pulled out of the Joe Rogan library <laughs> so that you can tell which episodes have been deleted by Spotify. Uh, you just go to jremissing.com. So JRE as in Joe Rogan Experience. JREMissing.com. So I went there and I looked for my name, you know, because I, I was interviewed once, appeared on uh, the Joe Rogan Experience once. But I did not get banned, and uh, I was instantly disappointed. Because <laughs> I don't know if you've met, uh, has anybody noticed this? But I like attention. Anybody? I know I try to keep it under, keep it under a, a lid, but it's true. Sometimes I like attention. So I don't know what it would take to get uh, my episode yanked on Spotify. But if they don't yank my episode, um, I'd like to announce now that I'd like Spotify to pull the Coffee with Scott Adams podcasts. Uh, I'd like them all to be removed, unless they remove all of Michael Malice's remaining episodes. (laughs) No, just kidding. I like I love Michael Malice. But I feel like I should announce something to get some attention here. Oh, by the way, the whole Barbara Streisand thing was fake news. Did you all hear that? So I talked about that yesterday. That uh, uh, apparently there's a problem of a number of uh, artists who are being brought into the story who have nothing to do with it. So she's another one. But I feel like I should. I need to announce something to get some of this free, free publicity. (laughs) What should I announce? I need to announce something like if Spotify doesn't remove my podcast from Spotify, then what? Why should I ask for? What should be my demand? Maybe it should be some Joe Rogan. <laughs> oh, by, by the way, here's a uh, somebody mentioned my head warts. <laughs> uh, I'm going to uh, just take a mild detour here. Years ago, I learned one of the most important things I've ever learned in my life, it was somewhat accidental. Um, I had laser uh, treatment on my face for something called spider veins, you know, little little red veins you can see on the surface, and just so just for cosmetic reasons, I had them lasered years ago. And with the old laser, the old lasers, it would look you just turn purple and it would look like you got punched. So I knew before I got it that I I didn't want to go in public for a week or so, maybe longer, because you'd just look like a monster. You know, you look like you'd just been in a cage fight, basically. And it took me exactly two days to be so bored just staying in my, my home that I said, oh, screw it. I'll go out, and if people look at me and mock or whatever they do, I won't be bothered. I'll, I'll get over it. And then I went out, and I, th- I believe I went to the mall, you know, where there are just tons of people, and I kept waiting for all their, their stunned and horrified reactions. And you know what happened instead? Nobody really cared. <laughs> Nobody. Nobody asked me about it. Nobody appeared to be staring. Nobody appeared to have any reaction whatsoever. At all. And I literally was walking around like a monster, now, that was one of the most incredible, impactful experiences of my life because my prediction would have been that people are going to react and then that's going to make me feel bad or inconvenience me or something. And absolutely nobody cares about stuff like that. So your, your comment about... You can see these, you know, these imperfections here. Um, I had a, a, a very a very simple uh, dermatology treatment where they take this frozen stuff and they, they spray your head or whatever part of your body if you've got any kind of gross or any you know age spots or things that don't belong. And somehow, and this is the most amazing thing ever, this can of, of cold, whatever spray this is, somebody in the comments will tell me what what is made of, this, this freezing thing that they spray on you somehow can identify... What doesn't belong? Liquid nitrogen? Is that it? Somebody's saying liquid nitrogen. But I don't know how it does it. But these are not just, uh, I'm not talking about precancerous. These are not um, all precancerous treatments. They're just things that don't belong. And they have a variety of names, you know, like a keratosis this or a maturity spot that or whatever. But somehow, this freaking magic nitrogen spray sprays they just all they do is they like cover your eyes and they just go and all of your good skin completely ignores it completely ignores it and anywhere that there's something that doesn't belong is it like nukes it and then you have to wait a while for you know it to heal how the hell does it do that (laughs) i mean seriously how the hell does it do that and I thought, here's another one of those things that should be a business by, its own, by itself. So for $250, somebody took a, a spray can and went for all of less than 30 seconds, and I paid $250 for it, and I'm a perfectly happy customer. How much training do you need for something that if you don't get it into your eyes, you're perfectly good to just spray it anywhere? Well, don't listen to my medicals advice. Anyway, it's a weird uh, experience. All right, uh, did you all hear the story about the uh, GoFundMe? So the truckers, the Canadian truckers, the Freedom Convoy, uh, somebody started a GoFundMe and it got up over $9 million to support the truckers, you know, feed them and give them logistic support, I guess. And GoFundMe decided that they would Suspend it and not, not give the money to the GoFundMe organizers. But because they had problems with the organization that are a little vague in my mind, uh, they decided that first, and by the way, they've revised this. So at first they decided they would take that money that had donated and they would give it to qualified charities. What? <laughs> I, I read this story and I thought, I can't be reading this right. I couldn't possibly be reading this story right because of all the ridiculous, amazing, jaw-dropping, effed-up things you've ever seen in your life. Has anything been as ridiculously effed-up as that? Now, as you might imagine, the public exploded because it's just ridiculous. And uh, by morning, Goof on Me had reversed. And they said, oh, you know, due to public outcry, we're going to automatically refund it to the people who donated it. Now, that's a little better. <laughs> how, about, how about they should have had automatic refunded as maybe option A? In what world is option A, we'll take the money you intended for something else and we'll decide what to spend it on? In what world did anybody in that company get together and have a meeting And they all talked about that, and they said, you know, here's what we're going to do. We'll just take the money that very passionate people, who are exactly the kind of people who complain, because they are literally supporting protesters. That's what we're talking about. We're going to take that money, and what do you think? We'll just say we'll just give it to charities that we think are good. Everybody in the room, you okay with that? And then what did the other people in the room say? Was there anybody else in the room at GoFundMe just one person who said, ah, I hear what you're saying. But in my opinion, that would be the dumbest thing any company could ever do in the history of dumb things. Just one person's opinion. Did anybody do that? <laughs> Are you aren't you genuinely curious what the meeting sounded like? I mean, if if I could get an audio of that meeting, because at some point the executives had to talk about it, right? It wasn't one person's decision. How in the world did that meeting go? (laughs) Because I don't think... Do you think you could meet one person in your actual life who thinks that was the best way to handle that? It's literally an online company, and they couldn't figure out how to reverse charges? (laughs) What? That's their whole business, taking charges on stuff and... Presumably reversing them sometimes. Well, and then people uh, reasonably asked uh, Did you do the same thing for Black Lives Matter or uh, Antifa when they had their GoFundMe's? And the answer is Nope. Apparently, uh, GoFundMe thinks they can pick winners and losers here. Now, uh, you realize that uh, GoFundMe is only two letters away from GoFuckMe. And there's a robots read news uh, comic to that to that degree uh, on Twitter right now you can see it. all right and uh, I guess the convoys are the convoy idea is growing now there's a massive freedom convoy in, in Helsinki uh, outside Parliament. so there's more of that going on now that's, that's some of the news going on and As you know, um, at the moment, the president is a Democrat and Congress is controlled by Democrats. Am I right? That Democrats control Congress and the president. And for over a year now. And so uh, Joy-Ann Reid from MSNBC uh, tweets this in the context of Democrats being in control of the government. She tweets... Uh, fascism, fascism isn't coming to America; it's here. Now, Doctor Interracial pointed this out to me. Thank you, Doctor, <laughs> Doctor Interracial. Um, what what is wrong? What what is going on? Now, my best guess about why this kind of perception could happen is that once you get you know, a narrative in your mind, you just can't get rid of it. Even when all the facts change, you can't get rid of it. So, what's up with that, huh? Let me tell you what's up with that. There is a uh, new study, or a little scientific finding, I guess, that matches what uh, I learned 40 years ago in hypnosis class, actually. But science is catching up. It's the difference between what we actually perceive and then what we remember we perceived. And if you don't understand what I'm going to explain now, there's a whole lot of the world that won't make sense to you. It's one of the most basic things you have to understand about your your reality and your place in it. And It goes like this. Roughly speaking, if you're watching a tennis match and you're trying to decide, or even playing one, you're trying to decide if that tennis ball hit a line or was inside or out. This is approximately what your brain sees. right? Now, this is just you know, my strange representation. But you don't actually see the ball hitting the line. And, and we know that. Like, that's been studied specifically. You might see the, the ball before it hits the line. You might see it after. But the point at which it hits the line is almost always imagined. <laughs> it's drawn in. Your brain fills in blanks. And then you have a clear memory of it because you're arguing it. And you're saying, that, that was clearly in. And your, your opponent is saying, I saw it and that was out. That was out. Now, both of you have a perfectly clear memory because what you remember is perfectly clear. It's just that there was never any input that matched what you perfectly remember. So some people will look at this mess and their, their brain will create a fairly accurate story, which you could determine by having it videotaped and playing it back. So some of them would, I don't know, maybe even by accident, interpret it exactly right, and they would know where the ball hit. Other people would have a perfect memory, a perfect memory of something that didn't happen. Now, you have to understand that this is how all of your life is. It's not restricted to these little fast-moving objects... Or it, so it has nothing to do with the nature of tennis balls or the speed they're going. This is an analogy for everything all the time. Everything all the time is scant little information coming through your five senses, and then your brain is, a, is sort of a movie-making delusion generator, and it gives you this perfect memory that you could even draw a picture, if you were a good artist, you could draw a picture of what it looked like but it's not based on an actual memory. It's based on an illusion. Now, um, I did a a tweet today uh, asking people how many of them think that I, quote, uh, trusted the government and um, encouraged you to get vaccinated. Of course, that never happened. And those those of you who've watched me for a long time know it didn't. But why do so many people believe they saw it? They have a clear memory of me being a uh, vaccine Nazi and pushing the vaccine and, and trusting the government. Why do they have that it's such a clear memory of it? Well, it's this. It's exactly this. Some of them saw, you know, a couple of dots and then they said, oh, those two dots, I will take from that and form a perfect memory of you being a certain kind of way. And others saw, you know, the, the larger context of what I was doing, And even some of them saw something that wasn't happening. But the majority of you who watched most of my content got at least a view that matches my own. (laughs) I'm not sure if anything's true, but at least it matches my own. So uh, one of the questions people ask me, by the way, is why do I spend so much time responding to critics on social media? Any of you ever have that question? Like why why does it why does it seem like I put so much energy into that now, how many of you think I'd be better off if I just blew it off? A lot of you think that right one of the most popular opinions I get is you know Scott, you should just act like you're above it all, but it depends on the kind of comments if somebody says to me scott um You're an idiot. I don't. I don't really respond to that (laughs) because I'm above that. If somebody says, um, "I heard. I heard your opinion, and I have this completely different opinion, so therefore you're an idiot," sometimes I think, "Well, you know, there was room for two opinions," and I don't respond to that. The ones I respond to are the ones who are putting out a statement of who I am that's inaccurate and damagingly so. So what I'm doing is usually an act of um, information control, basically. I I like to make sure that if anybody says something that's untrue about me, that at least the comments correct it. And sometimes I'm just drawing attention to it so that there'll be more correcting comments, because a lot of you are nice enough to help correct, uh, and it just corrects the record. Because you can see that... That people's impression of me is so wildly divergent that for me to be effective and do anything useful for the world, I have to always tamp down the idea that I believe in unicorns and whatever else anybody thinks I believe in. So keep in mind that when I do it, um, sometimes I'm just, you know, I'm just having fun or having energy. I'm getting energy from it. Sometimes it's part of the show. Like if I, if I yell at one of the critics here, uh, it does vex me. So you're seeing you know, an honest reaction in terms of something actually vexes me. But not as much as I react. <laughs> you know, part, part of the reacting is to make you remember it. Right? So overreaction in a sense. So the overreaction is, is calculated to make you remember it. So I want you to remember what I said, not what the critic says. So keep in mind that when you're judging me for attacking the critics, I'm a very special case. All right? Let me prove to you my point. In your opinion, just the, the opinion of the people watching on the two platforms, Locals and on YouTube, what events in the real world have I influenced positively? What events in the real world, you know, outside of me, have I influenced positively? Like specifically, what topics? Now, as the topics go by, because you're going to see a bunch, the the point I'm trying to make is that all of my energy for this stuff is designed to be useful. That's it, right? If I can't do things that are useful, I'm I'm just not interested enough, because you know I do get compensated because. There's advertising on the platforms and there's subscriptions on locals and all that. But I wouldn't do it if I didn't think it was somehow useful right, to the larger public. And my usefulness would be uh, highly degraded if people thought I was something else. So, of course, there's a, a irrational component that everybody wants to defend themselves. So if anybody's thinking, hey, that sounds like a gigantic rationalization (laughs) maybe everything is Uh, that that's a reasonable view that just everything is a rationalization but it is also nonetheless true that if you like the fact that i've had influence on any topics and you like that influence that you're better off if i stay credible than if i let people define me have i made my point that if I let people define me and it just stays up there on the Internet without being challenged, then I'm less effective because people will say, oh, that guy. But if people had an idea that I'd ever done anything useful, they would say, oh, it's an opinion from the useful guy. If he was useful once, maybe he'll be useful again. And then I get listened to, and then I can double my usefulness. So, So basically, you should think of me as a, no pun intended, you should think of me as a tool. <laughs> and I think, I think that's one thing we can all agree on. Because <laughs> even my critics would agree I'm a tool. But, you sh- but if, you, if you don't hate me, you should also think of me as a tool. And I'm a tool which magnifies your own ability to get what you want. Because generally speaking, I'm only going to be influencing on things that the majority of people want. Am I wrong? Like, there's nobody who's (laughs) pro-fentanyl, right? There aren't too many people who say, yeah, keep those masks on those kids forever. So I'm really picking things that the public largely wants. If you want to get those things, then you understand why I have to remain at least some minimum level of credibility. Okay? Now... But to your point, if you were let's say Pierce Morgan, you know, he gets he gets viciously attacked or I don't know if is he's banned now? Did he get kicked off of Twitter? I don't even know what he's up to lately. But a lot of his uh, criticism is just that generic you're a Nazi, whatever kind of stuff. So no, I wouldn't I wouldn't respond to that stuff. It's only the stuff where they define you as having a completely different opinion. That's the only stuff. All right. There are now over 900,000 allegedly dead from COVID in the United States. So we'll hit a million, it looks like. And as of yesterday, 40, over 4,100 Americans died from the virus with a seven-day average of 3,400. This is like the highest number since January 2021. So we're actually at a COVID death high. But here's the good news we already know that the number of cases um, is down sharply. So hold. No matter what, the, the number of deaths looks like it's going to plunge because we're just, we're just still uh, working on the, you know, the, the past infection rate. It just takes a few weeks for them, those people to actually die. So we should be close enough where the government will have cover to drop restrictions. Uh, Unfortunately, the government has to be the most conservative among us because we charge them with our health and what the hell are they going to do except be conservative about it. So it's not a surprise that they're more conservative than many of you would be about lifting restrictions. But I think we can be constructive. we, We need to keep pushing. And if the hospitals are not that clogged, and I don't believe they are, And the cases are plunging, and it's the age of Omicron, and everybody who could get vaccinated wanted to. All the arguments on one side at this point. It's time to open up. And I think the public can respectfully and nonviolently push a little harder. Push harder. And we're going to get what we want sooner or later, You know, a few weeks isn't going to kill us, right? If the worst that happened is the government opens, you know, drops restrictions, let's say, three weeks after we all wanted it to happen. I mean, we all wanted it to happen a long time ago, but uh, let's say three weeks later than we expected. It wouldn't be the end of the world. But why in the hell do we have to wait three weeks? I, I, I feel like all the data and all the common sense and all the public opinion at least by weight of majority, is in in the same direction now. All right. What will will be the opinion of those of you who believe that a lot of this was permanent? Uh, What happens if it's not? Would that change your worldview at all? Um, (laughs) 18 wheels to flatten the turd. (laughs) It's catchy. All right. Now, I'm just looking at your comments for a moment. You think VAX cards will be permanent? I don't. But you know the the reason that I don't think have I ever even given an opinion on VAX cards? Have I ever given an opinion on VAX IDs? You'd have to remind me because I don't know if I've even said anything about it in public. And what was my what was my opinion? I think I was sort of don't care because here's the part that um, that I believe uh, I believe that if if the concern is um, just whether you can get in whether you're vaccinated or not, I think that'll go away. so I think the vax cards were supposed to be a convenience if you're worried that it would be some permanent way to um, become a social credit thing? I doubt it. I mean, I I would hate it as much as you do if that happened. But I think the problem is that the government has access to all the data it wants anyway. If they wanted to control us (laughs) through data, they could do it already. And I I also think privacy is already gone. So arguing about losing your privacy to the government doesn't make any sense to me. Because the government has access to all of your data, doesn't it? Am I wrong? What could the government not get access to if it, had, it just needs a reason, right? It just needs to tell the court, oh, we got a reason, and then they have access to everything. So your your privacy went away a long time ago. The only time the only privacy you have is being boring. The only privacy you have is being boring. That and then nobody cares. Now. I'm opposed to the government having all your all of your personal information and you know I'm opposed to the fact that they could dip in there. So I'm not I'm not in favor of losing your privacy. But I do think that we misinterpret where we already are in that arc. We're already way past that question. We gave up our privacy a long time ago. And we got a bunch of benefits in return. Now are the benefits enough to pay for the privacy? No way to know. Because the privacy thing doesn't matter until it matters a lot, right? That's the problem with the privacy thing. It'll go from well, it's not hurting us, to uh oh, we're all being rounded up. <laughs> so, and I've also said before that if we had less privacy of our leaders, it would matter a lot less to us how much they knew about us. Because you'd have mutually assured destruction, basically. We're just waking up to it now. Yeah. Yeah. In terms of risk avoidance, you wouldn't want the government to have your information. That's correct. It would give you a, a whole bunch of benefits that might be, you know, fairly immediate, and you might like them. Might make all your technology work better. It might make, you know, the government serve you better if it had more information. I don't know. But it might solve crimes. And you might like that if you're not a criminal. But, uh, yeah, the, the potential downside is that they know so much that they can round you up easily, etc. But what happens when we get into a world where one person can destroy a government? Because we're pretty close to that, aren't we? How hard is it to make deadly uh, chemicals that would create your own... Oh, I don't want to give any ideas. Scratch that. Let me get more generic. Let me be more generic. We are entering a phase where anybody can kill any, anything, unfortunately. Now, I don't have to mention all the ways that they could do it, because that's the part I started to say, but I think that would have been irresponsible. We're, we're get, reaching the point where an individual will be able to do damn near anything in terms of destruction but also a point where one individual could overthrow a country. Am I wrong? Do you think you couldn't find one individual who could overthrow a country? Look at what one person has done recently. Yeah, Joe Rogan, <laughs> maybe. You also saw the video of that one uh, uh, very leader-like, probably a senior in high school, organizing the anti-mask protest. In uh, Washington State, now that was one person, who probably was the the primary person who got one school to do it. Now, if social media allowed that to go viral, could that have caught on? I'm surprised it didn't. You know, because it was such a good video f- to become viral. I'm surprised every school hasn't already taken off their mask, actually, and I don't I don't know why not, actually, but. You could you could see how close it was for one high school student to change the world. You can see what Greta Thunberg has done, you know, wh- whether you like it or not. You know. but yeah, one person changing the world is happening all the time, all the time. Um, <laughs> all right, um, so that. It's because the teachers' unions are part of the deep state, you say. All right. How dare you? How dare you? Um, So here's the question, getting back to the original point. And I'm sorry for the the big lags when the people are just listening to this. It's usually because I'm reading the comments to see where to go with this. But... When you get to the point where an individual can cause immense damage, then how much how much power does the government actually have over you? Think about it. You know, we have. Of course, it's its own gigantic problem that anybody can be a horrible terrorist just by putting together a few assets. But those those assets could be used against the government, and. <laughs> Yeah, so I'm not, I'm not as worried as you are about the government um, rounding us up or doing something that abusive and getting away with it. I, I think the American model is more like the GoFundMe situation where GoFundMe does something that's outrageous or tries to and the public immediately says, um, by a 75% majority or whatever, nope. See, I, I always say that if you could get the public to agree... 75% of them to anything, you will get that eventually. Not right away, but you're going to get it. They already round us up, but not physically. Yeah, the mental game is going to be the big one, isn't it? You know, the, Here's the biggest change in persuasion. I'm not sure if you knew this. But in the old days, you would try to persuade people, and it was hard to know if it worked. Right? You could put advertisements on TV... And maybe they would sell more dish soap or something. But often it didn't. You know, a lot of advertisement doesn't work at all. Some would say most advertisement doesn't even work at all. So we didn't really know what worked and what what wouldn't. But what's different now is that you could rapidly test any message. You just spray it on the Internet. You can look at all the metrics. You can see what's viral, what gets a lot of clicks, what gets engagement. And then you can immediately adjust do it again. So our ability to to know what works and to know quickly so you can do more of it and to know what doesn't work very quickly so you can do less of it puts persuasion in a whole different category. Now on top of that we've got a whole bunch of uh, breakthroughs like now we can image your brain we can put you know monitors on your brain and find out what kind of messages have the most uh, impact. On top of that we have an industry to train you how to do it. You know, the, the book industry and books like uh, um, Childini's books about persuasion. So you can read about persuasion, you can learn it, you learn it from me, you can learn it from a number of places. So what used to be closer to alchemy, you know, sort of like persuasion was something that felt a little bit more like uh, fake science because you were, you were kind of guessing, and then you were kind of guessing if it worked. Well, I think it worked. But now it's science, because now you can say, oh, we've, we've measured this kind of message against this kind of topic, and you know, we'll have to tweak it a little bit, but we'll do that rapidly through A-B testing of messages, and then, uh, bang. Suddenly, persuasion is more powerful than all of our other weapons, I think we're already there. I think we're at the point where weaponized persuasion, which has been you know, tested and tested, is more powerful than most of our weapons of mass destruction. Um, all right. And, of course, why is it we don't talk about persuasion being the, uh, the biggest risk and maybe the biggest benefit, too? Why don't we talk about that more? Because the people who would talk about it are the ones who are doing it. <laughs> They're the ones who are persuading you. I don't, th- I don't think they want to open the kimono, so to speak. Gotta hate that phrase. Um, I don't think they want to show you the mechanism behind their own operation. So they can't show you how persuasion works or even talk about it, because then you would see it in their actual content. Uh, why wasn't persuasion used to get people vaxxed? Actually, the headlines today is that in the UK, they actually used persuasion techniques to what they call nudge, uh, you know, to nudge somebody. Apparently, they did use nudge technology, if I can put it that way. The, the understanding of what persuades in, a, in an advertising marketing kind of world. Now, I would say... They may have held off the strongest versions of that. It looked like they they nudged as much as they could nudge without pushback. That's what it looked like to me, because there are stronger forms of pure per- persuasion. They could, for example, scare the shit out of you, and they didn't do that. You know, they they played the they played the fear thing. They definitely played it, but they didn't go as far as they could. They didn't go full Trump, right? F- and neither did Trump, by the way. Trump didn't go full Trump either. It, Trump did you notice that? You know, cuz Trump had to he had to thread the needle a little bit. He's got to keep his supporters on his side, but clearly he was also the warp speed guy, so he's got to claim that they work and that it's a good idea. So he, so he was always sort of sort of down the middle and he dropped his entire Trump-like persona just for that topic. <laughs> Probably the right thing to do. But let me tell you what real persuasion would have looked like, just so you can imagine what it would have looked like. What it would have looked like, let's say if somebody like Trump had wanted to do it, he would have told you, "You're gonna fucking die if you don't get that vaccination." They would have showed you pictures of, you know, way more pictures of the people dying in ventilators. I mean, they could have scared you to the point where you wouldn't think of anything else. That they they could have scared you to line up. No matter how much you were afraid of the vaccination, they could make you more afraid. Remember when people said, there's no way that Trump could beat Hillary because his ratings were so low, his popularity? And I famously said at the time, he doesn't have to get more popular. He just has to make Hillary less popular. <laughs> and then he did. It was one of the most masterfully strategic you know, approaches you've ever seen. Well, I'm not going to get more popular, but I'll bet I can make her less popular. And then he did. So he would do the same thing with vaccinations. He wouldn't make you less afraid of the vaccination. He wouldn't have to. He wouldn't make you less afraid than you already are of you know, whatever side effects there are of the vaccination. He wouldn't even have to mention it. He would just make you way, way more afraid of the alternative. And no matter how rational you are, if you hear it enough and you see it visually, it's the visual part that's missing, right? When you see the visual, it's you know it's a, usually a photograph of a person on a ventilator. Imagine if that was video, right? You usually just see a still photo, somebody's on a ventilator or a, or text. They could have gone full video, um, showing people on literally dying. If you showed me one video of somebody gasping for breath and dying, and like I was dumb enough to click on and watch it. I would never get that out of my head. And somebody says that it did happen. But um, I don't remember seeing it, so it didn't get a lot of play. Anyway, but you see the difference, right? You, You might not have noticed until I mentioned it. Well, you probably did. But you did notice that this is one where Trump quite conspicuously decided not to be persuasive. You all see that, right? That was a choice. But if the government wanted you to be persuaded, it didn't even try. In, in my opinion, in my opinion, the level of persuasion that the government used was pretty close to appropriate, pretty close to appropriate, because I think they believed that it was good, so you do want them to say what they believe is good, and you want them to lead on that. But you don't want them to be full-out brainwashers. And I think they stopped short of being full-out brainwashers. In America, there's an accusation that in Great Britain they actually went too far. But in America, I would say maybe they overshot the mark 10%, but that's not really a crime. Yeah, What about now? At this point, I feel like they're backing off on the vaccinations. And I, I think we'll just end up opening up and we'll probably be fine. We'll hit the million mark for deaths, but we'll probably be fine. All right. Um, And that is all I have for today. Oh, let me make one more point, because I saw a comment going on. Um, Somebody said that the masks are child abuse. Uh, Imagine if the public wanted to be better persuaders on the masking of children. We, We haven't even taken a serious try at it. Because there would be videos of the kids themselves struggling with masks and saying how it destroyed them and begging adults to help them. That's all you need. Just get some... Tape a bunch of kids who really, really care about the masks. It wouldn't be hard to find some. The ones who really, really think that they're being damaged by them. And just put them on video. That's all it would take. And just say, and have the kids say, if this isn't child abuse, what is? Imagine the child saying it, and by child I mean could be twelve years old, right? So imagine a video where the child on the mask says, "If this isn't child abuse, I don't know what is." It'd be over in a day, <laughs> but kids don't know they have that kind of power, and there are you know, and maybe it's a good thing that there are no adults manipulating kids into being part of that messaging. So maybe that's a good thing. All right. The news is not serving up delightful things as much as it should, but I'm hoping tomorrow will be better. And um, the okay, I have to answer this question: Is Trump naturally persuasive and crazy, or is the craziness just an act? The craziness is just an act. Um, That's my opinion. And you know, I did meet him; I got to talk with him, and there wasn't any craziness. Yeah, wouldn't you imagine if the stuff that Trump does in public was also the way he acted in private? Don't you think you'd pick up on it pretty quickly? <laughs> I don't think he could hide it, right, if if he was actually that crazy. But in private, it's just talking to a real smart guy who actually shows a lot of interest in you. And I think that would be... The, I think the most surprising thing about meeting Trump in person, maybe not surprising to me, but... Surprising to anybody, I tell about it, is how much genuine interest he had about me. You know, asking about how my business model worked and 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 you know, insightful questions. People don't expect that of him because of the you know the caricature that's that's painted. Yeah, his his personal charisma is is really through the roof. It's that was the fun part to experience. Yeah, it's entertainment for the base. Correct. All right. That's all for now. I'll talk to you tomorrow.